Hello, and welcome to Artfully Told, where we share true stories about meaningful encounters with art. I think artists help people have different perspectives on every aspect of life. All I can do is put my part out into the world. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It doesn't have to be perfect ever, really. I mean, as long as you, you're enjoying doing it and you're trying your best, that can be good enough. Art is something that you can experience with your senses and that you just experience as, as so beautiful. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Artfully Told. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am thrilled to have as my guest today, Doug Motel. He is an artist that expresses himself through a wide variety of mediums, including theater and fine art and songwriting, and I cannot wait to hear all about it. So thank you so much for being here today, Doug. Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Well, I would love to hear how you kind of got started, maybe just what inspired you and then what you're up to these days. Yeah. Well, how I got started, that really goes really far back. I became really, I would say fascinated, but really the more appropriate word is obsessed uh, with portraiture when I was a little kid. When I was about nine, I used to just draw people's faces all day long, sometimes 20 to 30 portraits a day. And so, you know, when I was 10, 11, you know, I was drawing all the time. And I think that you know, it was a bit of a retreat into a, a more private space because I didn't I grew up in an environment that really didn't feel safe to me in my my family, and I, I felt like art and drawing was a great refuge. So there was a bit of a, a shift for me when I think I was I think I was eleven. I had done this portrait. It was a political cartoon, and I really I was really proud of it. And but I couldn't I couldn't find it. One morning I woke up and I couldn't find it. It was not in my big stack of drawings. And I asked my mom, you know, did you see this cartoon that I had drawn? And I could I couldn't find it. And and my mother said, yeah, your you know daddy took it to the poker game last night. And I I just said, what? Why? Why would he do that? And she said because he wanted to show the other you know dads the drawing. And up until that point, I really felt honestly invisible to my father. I didn't think that he even, you know, had any idea that I loved art or that I, you know, did art. And the fact that he had taken that time, the interest to like secretly without ever saying anything to me, like he had never said anything to me, like that's a really great drawing. He just behind my back while I was sleeping took it so that he could show it because he was proud of it. And I think that there was like a little thing that went off in my brain and I thought, oh, this whole thing about being able to draw is like some kind of currency. You know, it gives me some sort of value. And, you know, I have to say, sadly, as a little boy, I, I didn't feel like I had any value. So that was a moment where I thought, okay, I get it. Here's this thing that I do. And so then I began to really, really nurture it. And I had a lot of those how to paint a landscapes books and how to paint, you know, in watercolor. And I, I really dove into watercolor, you know, as a 12-year-old. And I started showing my work when I was, yeah, when I was 12. I lied my age so that I could be in an art show that was for adults. And I actually won a ribbon for a still life that I did. And I, I just felt like it was the thing that was like the one thing that I could 
do that would give me some sort of value. And that was until I discovered theater. Also, when I was 12, I auditioned for a community theater production and I got in it. And that was like, that was kind of like the world going from black and white into technicolor. The idea of being in a community with other artists and, you know, being in front of an audience too, and getting people, um, clapping for me instead of it feeling so threatening or unsafe as it did at home. That was a big turning point for me. And and so I would say since then, I, I've sort of like, if you imagine a console where you're, you're like at a soundboard and you've got one dimmer switch, you've got two dimmer switches. For me, one, the, one dimmer switch would be the fine art and painting and drawing. And the other dimmer switch would be storytelling in, in a theater uh, setting. I would say like my, my life has been kind of, uh, you know, between moving those two dimmers up and down, back and forth a bit. Was that, was that too much? (laughs) That was perfect. No, no, no. I love hearing the background. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I like that illustration. They each have their turns essentially. And which one comes up a little bit brighter today versus the next day? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'll go through these periods where I'll really feel like I've got something that I want to say, you know, there was a time when I was living in Los Angeles and, and a dear friend of mine had been murdered by just a, a random person in her apartment building. And I just felt the, you know, the, the, the sense of grief, not just my own personal grief, but all the people that, that knew her. She was a very special person. And I, I felt like I needed to to process through it some way uh, artistically. And I, I thought about doing it in fine art, but ultimately I decided to write, write a play. And I wrote a play that had about 12 characters in it, and I played all the characters. And it was really an homage to her spirit and very much about people going on a spiritual odyssey when something tragic happens. Kind of like, you know, when something tragic happens, kind of like what we're going through right now, you're always at a fork in the road. You could either use it as a as a way to affirm how horrible the world can be, or you use it as an opening for some sort of a healing. And so I wanted to turn that into uh, a story. And I, I was just lucky because it it, it wound up becoming, you know, it, it really found an audience and I wound up, you know, being lucky enough to win a lot of awards in Los Angeles theater for that. And, and it was supposed to move to a New York theater. That's why I moved back here onto the East Coast. And, and in fact, if your listeners want to go on Amazon Prime and search Shiva Arms, S-H-I-V-A and then Arms, that's the name of the play. And you can see a, a, a filming of me performing it in the theater. So that's an, ex- that's an example of, you know, I just didn't know. I knew I wanted to do something artistic to express what I, I felt I discovered about what, what happens when you're faced with this kind of unexpected, really horror, horrible. It felt like a horror, like being in a horror movie and how do we respond? And for me, the, 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 the thing to do at that time was to, to make theater out of it. Now, the pandemic has really been a place for me to go back to paint. And I've been doing a lot, a lot of painting. And I've been painting abstract watercolors with very carefully chosen colors that I believe suggest healing and calm. And in fact, I'm calling the whole series I'm doing right now Remedy Paintings to re- remedy from the trauma that many of us are going through from this whole pandemic. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible and so helpful and so needed right now, because I think, you know, 
<laughs> art has always been necessary, but I think in a time like this, it's it's even more so, or at least there's more awareness to how much it's needed and, and how much transformative power it has. Yeah, yeah, because art is something that links us, that brings us together. You know, of course, theater brings us together physically when we're in the same room. We can't we can't be doing that right now. But even just, you know, looking at a piece of art and, you know, right now what I'm doing is abstract art where where I'm not painting I'm not painting things. You know, I'm not painting, you know, people, places or or things that are, you know, known, but I'm just using color and shapes and lines to suggest a feeling, but it does connect you when you look at a piece of abstract art and you sort of let your, your mind go. It connects you to the artist and, and, and can, can connect you to the, the, the thought that anyone who looks at this art also looks at this art is having a shared experience with you. And we do. We need it now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, I know that from the very beginning, it sounds like you, you taught yourself, and of course, you had some resources through books and things like that to help with that. But did you ever go and have some more formal, like art classes or anything like that, or are you really just you just kept exploring your own art and well, learning was, on your own? When, when I was twelve, I convinced my parents to let me study privately with a woman. Her name uh, was Lorraine Watson. She has since passed. But, you know, kind of like you would drop your kid off at violin lessons every week, they would drop me off at Mrs. Watson's house and I would, she, she did teach me perspective. She taught me, you know, she taught me drawing. She did teach me watercolor. She specialized in uh, Japanese sumi painting and she taught me a little bit of that. So yeah, I studied privately. And then when I was in high school, I was enrolled in our local vocational school and I studied commercial art. But that was really the extent of it. I I dropped out of high school and just really to get away from my environment and I moved to New York City and I studied acting but I didn't, you know, go to university or anything like that. Yeah, and so then from that opportunity in New York City, how did your life trajectory go? Because it sounds like, I mean, obviously, you've had so many amazing different experiences. But I'm just curious how how you got from maybe New York City to LA. And and just have you just always been an artist? Has that kind of been your your path in in many different forms? Well, I mean, (laughs) I've always been an artist, but um, very, very little of my time has been making money uh, doing art. So I've had a million jobs. I've had, I honestly have had more jobs than I could even imagine doing all sorts of things. Most of them legal. Some of them them perhaps morally questionable, but you know, I did what I could do, you know, as a teenager living in New York city and not knowing anybody, I did what I could do to survive. But when I was 19, I started performing in comedy clubs so I would write these little plays that always had some sort of message or theme about the human, you know, unpacking the nature of reality. I've always just been very interested in things like that. And so I would write these little plays and I would do them in cabarets and comedy clubs in New York City. And so that was the main thrust of my my art. But, you know, 
so I was essentially a stand-up comic, but I did very different. The work I did was more more like what you might have seen Andy Kaufman. My influences were people like Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, Lily Tomlin, people that would do a lot of character work and not necessarily tell jokes per se. The jokes were locked into the characters. And then one day when I was, I think, 24, someone saw me performing and then booked me into a, a place in Santa Monica. And so that was kind of, you know, it. I, I went... I flew to LA and I literally got off the plane. I saw that Hollywood sign and I saw how warm it was. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I am moving here. <laughs> and actually within a week, even though I was just out there to perform within a week, I found an apartment. I found a job as an apartment manager where I'd get a free apartment in exchange for, you know, taking care of the building. And then I flew back to, to New York. I gave my apartment away. I got one of those drive away cars where you, someone asks you to drive their car you know and for free but i had never i had never driven a car before so i had to get a couple of driver's license uh, driver's classes so i got some class i took like two driving lessons and then i packed up one of those driveway cars and i drove cross country and i moved to la and i thought i was i would live there forever but when shiva arms seemed to find an audience and I was encouraged to move back to New York to do it perhaps on Broadway. I went back to New York, but unfortunately it was just a few days before 9-11 and I happened to have been down in front of the World, World Trade Center on 9-11 because I had a temp job in an office facing the World Trade Center. And so that that's a whole other, if you ever have me back as a, as a guest some other time, I can tell you what that was like to look out the window and, and see all those people jumping. I was really traumatized wow. by that event because I, yeah. I had left Los Angeles. I left everything that I really had built up to move to New York just to have that happen. And so, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that that changed some things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, your story is so incredible how just you've yeah, had all these different experiences and and, and opportunities and it's so cool to hear just the way that you got from A to B to Z and all those fun things and so yeah, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Oh my goodness. It's and pretty, so pretty. do you do stand up comedy anymore or well you know there's no there's no place to do it now really, right you know and i i was working on a piece a little bit when this happened right now i'm very obsessed with the fine art and the the abstract painting it's hard for me to think beyond that but my chances are pretty good that i'll someday write another I call, you know, they really are plays. They're solo plays that where I just happen to play all the characters. And I've had, I think, seven of these produced. So it's very possible that I'll want to do another one. But right now, my focus really is on painting. It's so easy. Like, you don't have to, you know, like, when you're performing, you I have to, like get in shape. <laughs> you know, I have to, you know, do yoga all the time. I have to make sure I don't get sick. I have to vocalize. I have to run lines every day, you know, and then just, there's a lot of preparation and, and also collaboration. You're dependent on other people, the theaters, the producers, there's so much that's involved in it. It can be very, very rewarding, but it also can be very exhausting. And, you know, painting, it's just so solitary. 
Yeah. Well, and what a perfect time to be obsessed with this particular project because it's not like there are tons of opportunities to perform live. So, yeah, I think that timing worked out beautifully. (laughs) Yeah, I think so, too. Perfect. Well, so I'm curious. I mean, you obviously, well, my interpretation is you are incredibly brave and all the different things that you've done to step out of your comfort zone time and time again or just what you're familiar with, maybe not even comfort zone, and go for the next thing is just awesome. So I'm curious, how did that come about? Or what advice could you give somebody who is maybe hoping to take, you know, a leap of faith and not there yet? Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's some cliches that, you know, we hear them all the time. So we become immune to them. They've lost their impact. But, you know, They're cliches for a reason because they often are true. And the cliche that people have become sort of immune to, which is very true, though, in spite of that, is that this isn't the rehearsal. This is the thing. This is life. We're Mm -hmm. living now. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is the show itself. And I just feel like there's so much about our society that has us focused on what's missing. It's almost like, you know, you're given a donut and and all we can focus on is that hole in the middle, the empty hole, and we don't see the sugary treat. I feel like our whole society is like a cult and it's like the cult of more. You need to have more. You need to be more successful. You need to have more likes on social media. You need to have more money, more, more, more. And it's like this carrot that's dangled in front of you. And many people don't even know what it is that they're looking for, what it is that they want more of, but they just know like they need to have more. And I would say that comes a point where you have to understand that there's nothing out there. All, all that this, all that life really is, it's almost just like a, a bunch of pearls strung on a string. Like it's just, it's just moments. They're just a bunch of now moments strung together. That's what a life is. And if you don't seize the moment, if you don't give every moment the importance and, and, and approach each moment with a mental posture of, this is the most important moment of my life. This is it. It's not coming. It's not around the bend. You know, It's not when I get this or when I get rid of this or when I change this, no, this is it now. Because if there's something that you want or something that you feel is missing, this is the day, this is the moment to be doing something to bring that into fruition, to bring that into your life. And I think our culture hypnotizes us into just putting that off and putting it off and any day now. And yes, I'm going to do, you know, when I'm more together or when I'm more healed or when I'm not, when I'm not so, you know, messed up or so neurotic or, or whatever. But I just say, come as you are, you know, no matter how messed up you may be or how broken you may feel you are, you still have the agency to live for this moment, to have this moment right now be the most important moment. You know, I feel like from the beginning of time, people who were dying, people on their deathbed, have told us the same message year after year after year after millennium after millennium. They say, you know, don't take it so serious. 
That's what they're learning. And they give us this message and then they die. And then they, you know, they think we're going to, you, you know, and then we just, we go, oh, wow. Yeah. Don't take us as seriously. And then we forget. And then we get right back in there and we make it all very serious. And I think if you've made it serious so far, that's okay. That's over now. But right now, in this moment, listening to Lindsay and I talking, all that is over. And this is a new moment for you. You're born again, and you can choose again, and you can take an action uh, right now to to move yourself closer to the circumstances that you want, especially if you understand that your circumstances changing is not going to give you life, is not going to put the play button. The record button for life is on. Well, that was brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, I've thought a lot about this. I've lost people and I guess, you know, partly because I'm coming out of this whole period, you know, this whole period of this pandemic and I just, you know, this is it. This is it, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's that realization and it's important and no, I'm 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 absolutely serious. I was sitting here thinking do you do motivational speaking as well? Because if you don't, you could. <laughs> sure I do. Yeah. Um, I have to confess that I have a kind of a weird story, a weird backstory that, you know, sometimes I feel funny talking about, but I guess at this point, it just seems natural for me to tell you that when I was four years old, I fell off of a ladder and I had a head injury. And when I came back from the hospital that very night, I had what I guess people would call a mystical experience. And I can't say that I can explain what this is, but there was a, a presence. It was like a, a sphere. It was like an orb, I guess, that came to me and it said, uni verse, uni one verse from a song, all is one. And basically it was telling me that the whole universe was one living thing. And it came and visited me in my room in, in our little apartment for a year, every single night. And it never said anything else. And at first I was very scared. I was scared because I was, I mean, I was four years old, you know, and there was this presence, you know, but then by the end of the year, I became to really welcome it. And this orb would appear and it would just say the same thing that the world was one thing. And I think my whole life, Lindsay, has been unpacking that. My whole life really has been spent looking at that quote-unquote mystical experience or whatever from that head injury and thinking, you know, it's kind of true. If you say you look at a tree, and we may think of there's that tree as if that's a separate object, but can you separate a tree from the soil that, that the roots are in? Or can you separate a tree from the sun that's coming onto it? You know, like where does tree stop and all that other stuff start. And I know I'm getting super esoteric here, but you know, these are weird things to talk about. And yet when you really stop and think about it, we're just told that we're separate from each other and all the things, but there's no real evidence. There's no evidence. And if you pull back and you look at the earth from space, Earth looks like one thing. And if you pull back into farther into space, our solar system looks like it's one kind of a thing. You can point to that. And the ball that visited me when I was four, you know, telling me that everything was one. I've just spent my whole life unpacking that idea. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what an incredible experience. And I love that that's kind of been the 
the the catalyst, I guess, for exploration as to definitely your search for truth and meaning and right all those things. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever done anything artistically that wasn't in some way connected to my trying to really get a deeper understanding of the nature of our reality. Yeah, that's cool. Well, my goodness, you have such an inspiring story, not only from your own, you know, perspective and all those different experiences that you've had, but again, just your bravery, your willingness to be here and now and live in the moment and what that's brought you because you've gotten to do some really cool things. And so I just really appreciate you sharing all of that and sharing your inspiration as far as, you know, go for it. This is the show. (laughs) There is no dress rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you asked me about motivational speaking and you're right. Yes, I have done a lot of that. I, I wrote a play that was about a British screenwriter being plagued by his own mind, his own inner critic. And then I wound up turning that play into a workshop. The place called Mind Salad. And the workshop is, you know, about how we can really identify the voice of criticism. And the vo- in there, that's it's, it's out to get you. It's, it's the voice trying to keep you from being in the now. And uh, so I've done that workshop. I've done it for people with life-threatening illnesses. I've done it for, I think, I think if you go to mindsalad.com, there's information about that. I've done it for people in recovery. I've done it for, you know, all kinds of different organizations. I do a retreat every year. Last year, I did it on Hawaii and this year I had to do it virtually, but playing the game I did, it's called playing the game of, and then the year. So it was playing the game of 2021 and it was a three day zoom retreat about looking at the previous year and being complete with it. You know, the good, taking a look at the good, the bad and the ugly and really putting it to bed and then looking at what do you want the coming year to feel like much more. I'm much more interested nowadays in how do you want it to feel? Cause ultimately that's what really matters more than, you know, what do you want to accomplish? So yeah, so I do these workshops. I do coach people on this stuff too. Sometimes I say that I'm a storyteller who helps people look at the story that they're telling themselves about themselves. And I work with people in that way. So yeah, that's a whole other component of it. That's, that's pretty important to me. I have a TEDx talk called um, using the present to create the future. You might, you could look for that on YouTube as well. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. (laughs) Well, this is very exciting, and I'm sure that some of our listeners would want to connect with you, follow some of your work, just see what's going on. Do you have a way for us to do that? Yeah, so there's DougMotel.com. There's also DougMotel.art. And then on Instagram, there's DougMotelArt. Perfect. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from people. If any of this conversation got you thinking about seizing the moment. Actually, it's funny you said this is the show. Actually, I did write a one-man um, musical memoir called This Is The Show. So there's also songs. I wrote some pop songs, and there's one is called This Is The Show. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, okay. So I have three questions that I always like to ask my guests, if you're okay with that. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Okay. So first of all, how do you personally define art or what is art to you? I think that art is when you actively step into creation and extend 
that whatever you know whatever it is that created us has i believe that whatever it is that created us has endowed us with the very same abilities which is to create and whenever you step into that and make a choice to create you are partaking in art you are making art i like it perfect okay <laughs> and then what do you think is the most important role of an artist well I think the the role of the artist is to lead us in our evolution. I think that, you know, Darwin pointed out that we evolved from creatures in, in the in the sea, you know, and we keep evolving and I think that there's an assumption that evolution is just kind of like on autopilot. But I don't I believe that we could actually hasten the pace of our evolution. We can, you know, steer and direct our evolution. And the ones that do that are the artists. So the role of the artist is nothing short of saving humanity. I love that <laughs> so much. Okay. And then my final question, and I'll define my terms a little bit, but do you think that art should be inclusive or exclusive? And inclusive referring to an artist who puts their work out there and includes some context behind that, whether it's their inspiration or program notes or title something, versus exclusive referring to an artist who puts their work out there but doesn't provide context, and so it's left entirely up to the viewer as to its interpretation. Oh, well, as a, a multi-medium artist, I, I think it depends on the medium. You know, sometimes for theater, some kind of context may be very helpful to people, whether it's program notes or a um, prologue or something like that. It can be, you know, really help the artist to convey the idea. As an abstract painter, I try to stay out of the way. I try not to talk too much about what I was thinking or what was behind when I was making a painting. And instead, just, you know, I, I feel like my paintings are similar, well, it's kind of similar to, well, it's funny, I never thought about that till right now. But I always say, you know, people say, oh, you do one-man shows. And I say, well, not really, because, like, I do my bit, and then the audience does their bit, because I feed off of their energy. You know, I'll throw out something into the audience, and then they'll give me back some, you know, a, a laughter or whatever, and then I'll throw back to them. It's like a, a toss, you know, like a game of just tossing the ball. But I just realized now that I think that's what I'm going for also with my painting, because I half of it is me doing the painting. But then the other half of it is allowing the the viewer to have their own experience. Sometimes people look at my paintings and they make a whole story. And I love that. You know, you can project onto it, you know, like Rorschach tests. So in that medium, it's best if I get out of the way. But I used to do very, very, very realistic portraits. And sometimes it, it was helpful for me to write a little story about who the person was that I was, you know, doing the portrait of because they were important to me historically, but maybe not a famous person. Giving people context for who they were made their experience of enjoying the artwork even greater. So it really depends on the medium. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I love that you... <laughs> had like an unpacking moment right now about your art. That's really fun. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, this was incredible. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your art. Thank you for what you've brought to the world and helping us to evolve. As you mentioned, I really appreciate that you've devoted your life to that and that you've stayed consistent in your mission to bring art to the world. So that's important and valuable. And thank you for doing that. (laughs) Thank you, Lindsay, so much for allowing me to talk about this today. Of course. Well, I would highly encourage all of our listeners to check out Doug's website, see some of the work that he's done, go watch the video on Amazon and all of the other opportunities you have to connect with him. Obviously, he is incredibly inspiring, and I'm sure that all of us will be so excited to continue to follow uh, his journey. So thank you again, Doug, for being here. And thank you to everyone who has listened to this episode. And if you're feeling as inspired as I am, I would love if you would share this with a friend or two. And we will catch you next time. If you have a story to share with us, we would love that so much. And I hope your day has been artful. Hey, Artfully Told listeners, Lindsay here, and I just want to share with you a little bit more about the Speak Easy method. Now, if you've had a chance to listen to Greg Gonzalez's interview on Artfully Told, you're already a little familiar with the process that is so unique and so cool. That is the Speak Easy method. It is for people who are ready to write their books but maybe aren't super confident about their own writing ability or just want a more streamlined way of doing it. Greg and his team at Speakeasy are experts at these amazing questions that help your authentic voice to shine through. So what they do is they go through recorded audio interviews with you and these recordings are then transcribed and put into manuscript format, ready to go. So what's cool about that is instead of months and months or years and years of you writing a book, they will actually take you from concept to published, and it can be as little as nine months. That is one of the most recent success stories that they have accomplished. And it is just a really innovative method that I am personally so excited to help represent and help share the word about because what Greg and his team are doing is absolutely life-changing for prospective authors. And I highly encourage you to book a discovery call with Greg or another member of his team to learn more and see if this could be the perfect fit for you. It's 100% complimentary and you can do so easily by going to his website and that's www.joyfulliving.com slash speakeasy. And again, that spelled out is J O Y dash f u l living dot com slash speakeasy.